Welcome to Music Lessons, the podcast where we explore the analogous principles of music and growth by interviewing top musicians. I'm your host, Andy Likens. My background is in music and scaling a music team at a fast-paced tech company. As someone who loves to learn and grow, I'm fascinated by the mental frameworks and approaches of musicians and how they can apply to our lives beyond just music. Whether you're a curious music lover or a lifelong learner, this podcast is for you. Abraham Alexander is a Greek-born singer-songwriter with West African roots. As a child, he moved to Fort Worth, Texas, where a knee injury sidelined a burgeoning soccer career. By happenstance, he picked up a guitar and has been touring nonstop, while his new album, Seasons, is making waves in AAA radio. He's recently toured with the Lumineers, Lucius, Mavis Staples, Rodrigo y Gabriela, Andy DeFranco, Shaky Graves, and Gary Clark Jr., and I'm so excited to have him on the show. Please enjoy my conversation with Abraham Alexander. Abraham Alexander, welcome to the show. Andy, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> this is really cool. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Okay, the first thing I want you to tell me about is Dirk Nowitzki's retirement party. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? That's cool. That is cool. Man, I've been I've been a Dirk fan for a really long time. And just getting that call to be a part of his celebration, his legacy, and seeing the stars. You know, and his teammates, his old coaches, his family, support staff. He is the most meek human Mm. being you will ever meet. So, so meek. It's like this gentle giant, you know, he's seven feet tall, (laughs) but yet like looks at you in the eye, doesn't make you feel, you know, five, nine. It doesn't make you feel, it's weird. It was like this incredible yeah, this incredible talent that he had mm. to really meet you where you were. And I was in the green room sort of getting ready and he he comes to me and greets me and uh, his him and his wife uh, and who she's sweet as well. And he gets my guitar and starts to play Extreme or or More Than Words by Extreme. Okay. And I was like, oh my. And so we started singing it. And, uh, but it, again, it was, it was incredible just to be a part of that. And it's funny. I haven't thought about that moment in a long time. How did you wind up there though? Like, how did you? So there is this, uh, he's a um, radio host. His name is Skin and he is just very prominent within the Dallas area. Okay. And I think he gave my name to be, be part, but his wife, Jessica has been a fan of mine. Oh, really? And okay. So that just sort of, clicked. there's a little bit of a connection there yeah, already. Yeah. And, uh, but it was amazing. And then like, we've ran into each other a few more times okay. and just very, he's, he's, he's a homie now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And at what stage, cause I know, I mean, I think one of the things that I think is fascinating is you're like, hey, 10 years ago, I picked up the guitar for the first time. Yes. So what stage in the journey was the Dirk thing? Like at what point did that happen? So this was earlier on. So in regards to sports, I was trying to get acclimated with the culture, especially Mm -hmm. here in in Texas. And 
I would play football, which is a funny story how I got connected to American football. Okay. My parents signed me up because they thought it was soccer. Oh, really? Yeah. And so that, but also, <laughs> you know, Mavericks is, is yeah. huge. And so that's kind of how I got connected. And, you know, Dirk and Nash and Michael Finley, which were like the prominent big three guys and my foster family were big basketball lovers. And so just kind of wanting to fit in and it, it, there are moments to where you have to connect or you feel like there's this struggle to connect with family or you feel like an Mm -hmm. outsider. And yet there are moments like sports that sort of create this moment for you to, to be in, Mm -hmm. you know, especially the culture that we live in now, it's like someone's on his phone even then, and people are busy. Not a lot of people are eating dinner together, Mm -hmm. but watching a sports mm. team, like everyone's at the table watching. And so like he created that moment for me to have some type of family and warmth without even knowing it. That's you know? really cool. And so, um, yeah, it was, I feel like my life has been a constant of dots being connected again, mm. you know, and getting that call and being a part of that moment for him was a dot connected. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about connecting because yes. I, I this is like the first thing that I'm uh, drawn to here in this mm. let's <laughs> conversation. Go. Let's go. Is this something you think about as you go about creating music or performing music or both? I think so. There's sort of a duality to how I think about creating music. One, I create it for me. And I think if I get into the business of creating music for others, then it can be disingenuous. Mm. But if people connect with the music and it's authentic, I feel like that element will be everlasting and will carry through time. And if not, then it'll just be a fad. And so, but when someone hears it, the authenticness of what music is and my story, then, and if they connect and they find a kin spirit to who I am, and that is depth versus trying to go wide, you know, and I think that the substance is important because I want someone to listen to it and for them to find healing, find connection, whether that connection is within who they are or connection with who they want to be, you know? And so that is how I approach music, but there's going to be times where I'm inspired in regards to the production of things or, or one or the other by you know, what might be popular, what's out there, Mm -hmm. you know, and it sort of finds its way into the music, but I'm very much on, I'm writing music for me and I'm writing music to connect with myself Mm -hmm. and ultimately that will go wide. Is there something that you have to do in order to connect with yourself? Does it come naturally to you? Man, I feel like it's been cultivated for so long. Mm -hmm. You know, I was born in Greece and grew up there and I didn't have a lot of friends growing up. And so my friend was this green Power Ranger that I taped to my bike. No (laughs) joke. I taped this and, and I would talk to myself like, and, and those conversations were very deep and very searching. How old were you when when you were doing this? I mean, I could remember having like this deep connection at five, six, you know, seven years old and being in tune, but it was like that inner voice Mm. that is sort of an imaginary friend, 
you know, but it wasn't like this projection. It was very much, I knew I was having a conversation with myself and I was reasoning with myself at such a young age. And so that's, it's so interesting. I feel like you have to cultivate being intimate with yourself, cultivate being connected with yourself, because I feel like it's probably the hardest thing to do is self-awareness, self-realization, being real with yourself. There's a parable that says, what's, what's the benefit of getting the whole world, but lose your soul. And I feel like not just that, but you know, like why be fake outside or, and then fake to yourself. And so I'm thankful for it because it, it stemmed from not having that created this ability to sort of be okay being alone, be okay with isolation. It's not always good all the time, you know, because I feel like connecting with other people is important, but it's only the effect and the value can only be a byproduct of true connection with oneself. That really speaks to me. I often describe to people like I spent so many years ignoring the voice in my head yeah, <laughs> and yeah. learning to tune into it and listen yeah, to it. So yeah. um, it's amazing that you're doing it at such a young age. Man, thank you. Um, when you're young and you don't have friends or you don't have people that you connect with, it's painful for sure. But it, like as a kid, like just looking back, like how did I do it? You know, I feel like children have this unique ability for shielding themselves and this unique ability to put up this defense mechanism, you know, and it sort of happened without me knowing what I was doing, you know, and it wasn't until I'm older and understanding all these little nuances that I'm doing with the self-awareness and self-realization that I was like, okay, that safeguarded me from this pain and that pain and this pain. And so, you know, it doesn't matter what stage, I'm sure there are benefits of just being free and not so introspective as a kid and doing it old, or, you, you know, it's a double-edged sword, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but it's never too late. That's cool. And then, okay. And then when you moved from Greece to the U.S., yeah. you continued to rely on this sort of self-introspection even as you got to the U.S. Yeah, I, I very much so. You know, my my parents were originally from Nigeria. And so they immigrated to Greece, had me, and then coming to the States. And so I feel like what was hard then was trying to figure out who I was within those three cultures and those three factions of like, am I this African, you know, culture that my family is trying to give me with these proverbs? Am I Greek, the only country that I've ever known, you know, and, or am I this new thing, American, and I'm trying to fit in and, you know, there's this division even within the people here. So it, it was interesting. And if I didn't have that inner conversation or that self you know, sort of friendship, I think I would have been lost, extremely lost. Does Greece feel like home when you go back? I mean, you were just in Europe, but I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I've never been back to Greece. Okay. And so that would be interesting to know, but I would say no, you know, outside of just knowing the language, I would say there's no ties to it and it, it might change when I get there, but I would say no, it was a difficult time for sure. And so, you know, there's a, I can summarize it. We were in the grocery store with me and my mom and my brothers. And we 
we're going through an aisle in the supermarket and a bag of chips fell down as, as we were walking. I picked it up and I put it back on the shelf and someone said, why'd you touch that? No one's going to buy that now. And the whole entire, like she was raising her voice and the whole entire supermarket sort of ganged up on me and my family and we had to leave. And I feel like that was the first time again, as a kid that I realized what was happening, you, you know, Oh, I'm, I'm different, you know, and not just, uh, maybe people don't want to be my friend. It's like, no, I, there's something different about me. And I still didn't know what it was until I got oh, to the state. Interesting. You know? Interesting. Um, it's, I'm 11 years old right. and it doesn't dawn on me that maybe it was because of the color of my skin that I'm being uh. treated differently. But yeah, I don't, I don't have like ties or it, it doesn't feel like home, you know, but back then it, it was cause it's the only thing I've yeah, ever known. Yeah. But now I would say Texas is definitely home for me. Okay, cool. Yeah. And when the incident in the supermarket happened, did your parents, so they didn't talk to you about it specifically then? No, they really huh. didn't, uh, you, you know, and I don't know why it could be them trying to shield me from the bigger conversation. And and also in the sort of African culture, it's very much tough skin. Oh, I see. And you brush it off and you keep going and you keep moving. And so I feel like that definitely was a factor into not really having a conversation about it. You know, but my brothers and myself knew that was something different. Interesting. Yeah. Did you talk about it with your brothers at all or? You know, we did and we were like sort of what the heck was that? And she was rude. But again, not now looking back yeah. on it, we, we know. But then he was just like, why was she rude? Like yeah. what ha happened? And then it's like, maybe I shouldn't have grabbed the back of chips and like, you know, I wasn't sure if. Yeah, it was just didn't really know like the comprehension wasn't really there to really grab a hold of and grasp the entirety of of it all so let's rewind a little bit yeah so you pick up the guitar roughly 10 years ago mm. then i think i read that like eight years ago you did first open mic yep i know there was an interaction where you talked you bumped into some to a couple of producers at a bank or something like yes. that right yes but I want to know, I think it's really fascinating mm -hmm. that you'd only been playing guitar for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So where do you get the courage to <laughs> like pursue folks who you, you know, assumed were involved in music in some way? Like, yeah. You know, that's so interesting that we started the conversation of this like self awareness and this inner dialogue that I had, because I feel like it, it plays into this really well. And at this very moment, I was so in tune with that voice. And it wasn't just like this inner dialogue anymore. I felt like I was being led mm, in this interesting. particular moment. And it was that voice saying, you need to go see what these people are doing. Like, why are they hauling amps out? And so like being led by this curiosity and I went to find out what they were doing, you know, but like there's also this story beforehand where I was, I was working at the bank and a dear friend of mine now but I met him, he was a customer at the bank and walks in and he's trying to pay off a thing off his credit card. But this voice was like, get to know who this person is. And it's not allowed, but, you know, luckily, like he was, he's a guy. So it's kind of like, I don't know, like they were okay with it. And so I'm, I'm talking to him and he just moved here and here would be Fort Worth and he's a train conductor. 
but he's a photographer, like very creative, like something about him was different. And so I was like, dude, like if you want to make friends or needing to connect with anyone, like here's my number, you know, like I can tell you places to go, like places you want to eat. And it's cool, man. Like I shoot photography. And if you're down, you know, like would love to shoot you. And I was like, all right, great. And so this particular day, he invites me to his place and I go over there and he says, hey, I'm I'm running late. And this is where I meet uh, um, Austin Jenkins and Josh Block or the producers. And I went to go look at them and just like, what are y'all doing? And I were recording this guy named Leon Bridges. <laughs> oh, this guy named Leon Bridges. Yeah, well, right. at the time, right, he right, was just right. this guy named Leon Bridges. <laughs> and so it was like, all right, great. And they're like, hey, like you should come by and see like how it is. And they're like, can you sing? I was like, no, I don't really sing. Can you hum? And I was like, I can hum a little bit. <laughs> and that's how I find my way into, well, I guess rewind back. The next day, they're like, come come the next day to the session and that day, the next day, I worked the longest shift that I've ever worked at the bank. It was like 12, 13 hours. I get off and I was going to go straight home. And the way to the house was blocked, like the exit huh. was blocked. And so I had to go the round way and that way was leading towards the studio. And so I was like, I guess, I'm, <laughs> why not? I'm going to go and see what they're talking or like go see them. And, and they offered and that was how I found my way into the coming home sessions. And in that that session, it was such an incredible experience because of one individual following his dream, following his love, other people believing in that dream. Now you have, you know, 20 some odd people trying to bring something to life. And one thing that I wholeheartedly believe in is the second person that believes in the dream is more important than the dreamer themselves. Oh, that's interesting. You yeah. Know, because they validate yeah. that dream and they validate that desire. And so, but there's this book called uh, The Alchemist. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, I felt like, again, him following that legend and following that little thing that everything in the universe conspires for. And I felt the same for me of, you know, you asked me about what gave me the courage to go, but I felt like because I was so in tuned with myself and listening to that voice and diving deep within the instrument of what guitar was, you know, I was, I was so intrigued by it that everything was conspiring for me. You know, that encounter of my friend at the bank, you know, why did I have to, I, I could have just said, all right, cool. Bye. And that encounter is what led me to Leon. And if I didn't, that wouldn't have happened yeah. or wouldn't have happened in that way. Yeah. You know, why did I go and meet the dudes, you know, voting <laughs> off the amps? You know, if I didn't, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah. You know, and me, I felt like me wanting to go home was like, again, the universe saying, no, <laughs> like you're predestined to go in this situation. And so it's, it's like that alone just lets me know I'm exactly where I need to be. You know, every time I have doubts, because this journey is so hard and there's an ebb and flow to it, you know, but then I think back and reflect on that moment. And I was like, it's not about me. This is beyond just me. 
And, you know, I'm on my journey right now because of these three, four, five, six, and up to this point have been tens of thousands little moments. But I'm also a byproduct of the moments that Leon has had. And I'm a byproduct of Austin and Josh's moment. You know, if Austin saw Leon at playing during someone else's set and told him, hey, like, are those your songs? Let me record them. You know, and so that moment led to him recording. And then me so like all these different butterfly effects. Yeah. And I feel like I look back at that moment. I'm like, it's not about me. Like it's, it's bigger than just me. I have a part to play and I need to be faithful because the next person needs healing. I'm curious to know if your intrigue with the guitar mm. helped you, because you said you're really attuned at this time and like really listening to that inner voice, right? Yeah. Did the guitar playing sort of, did that have something to do with how in tune you were with yourself at the time? Like when you started playing guitar, did that, you know, draw that out more or was it just that you had been doing it for so long? Or? I think it it was another piece of the puzzle, you know, mm. of a, a massive piece of the puzzle of trying to figure out how I can express myself and how I can say what I want to say. You know, there are things that I was feeling that I didn't know how to articulate, articulate, but as soon as I held the guitar, now that ability came, you know, it was, it was as if someone gave me a pen for the first time. And now I can write down, how did I feel, you know, when this tragedy happened or when that tragedy happened? And sometimes you just, no words can suffice, but then you give yourself an instrument that speaks for itself when you infuse yourself and when you infuse emotion to it, it just makes things so easy. And so I think I was intrigued by it because I didn't have that ability before. Interesting. Yeah. You know, in that manner that it made it easier and it was like this new thing and it was therapeutic. And so every time I was having a bad day or every time I was thinking this, or as I would reflect, it would constantly be on this guitar in this moment. And so again, it was, I didn't, What's crazy is like, I didn't have this aspiration to be an artist. It was just, I just want to like be in tune with this guitar. Mm. I just want to know as much as I could about it. So it wasn't this aspiration of, I'm going to be this artist now. And it was like, I just want to know about this one thing and be as intimate with this one moment as much as I can. And that has led me to all these other moments, you know? So at what point, I mean, did you get to a point where you're like, oh, the, this artist thing is a possibility or it's real? Leon sort of encouraged me to start doing open mics. And again, it was just one opportunity after another. My first show that I got to do was opening up for Genuine. Oh, at House that's amazing. Blue. It's in, insane. So it's <laughs> someone who would, his name is Smooth Vega. Does he live in Vega. Dallas? Is that... No, he was just like playing. Uh, so someone in the Fort Worth area, DFW area, his name's Smooth Vega. And he promoter and will kind of get a bigger artist oh. and sort of put on artists coming up and kind of do that thing. And it was sort of unprecedented. No one was doing it, especially looking for young talent to ingest into a show like that. And so he came to my open mic and was like, dude, I love what you're doing do you have enough material for 30 minutes? And I said, yes, I lied. I, I, I didn't, but I said, like yes. Like a true entrepreneur, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, of course I do. And <laughs> lied, but it was, 
three weeks away. And within those three weeks, I wrote enough material. Wow. 30 minutes. How many minutes did you have to add to what you already had? Do you remember? It was probably like six songs or something like that. that, Yeah. Just that I had to write. (laughs) But, and some of them, like I, there's one I remembered the other day and I was like, oh my gosh, like I forgot about that song. But it was that opportunity that someone was giving me, you know, and I just kept taking it. And that moment led again to the next one of someone is like, hey, I saw you at the House of Blues opening up for Genuine. Here's another opportunity for you. And after those began to stack up, I was like, I think this is a reality, you know, but I still wasn't sure, you know, but I was still following it and I was doing other things on the side and seeing I didn't wholeheartedly believe that that was a possibility. And so I was doing other things and, and then, you know, I was, I was going to school and just tell a story, but I was going to school and thinking about med school and was working at the clinic at the time in, in physical therapy. And then my folks coaching soccer as well. And so I was getting like 15 hours of sleep a week. It was brutal. But then my folks sat me down and like, Hey, like you're killing yourself at both ends. And we think that you need to drop all that and pursue music. Oh, interesting. And it was like a weight fell out of my back and had this liberty of pursuing it full time. And was the coaching and stuff, was that after you were, cause I think you got injured at one point, right? Correct. So was this post injury? That- yeah. So this is post injury to where, you know, that injury in a sense is what gave me the guitar. And right. Back. Right. And so I'm learning, but it's, you know, again, I still didn't have this dream or aspiration to do anything in the industry. It was just, I love the guitar. And it took all those moments of me believing in myself. I hated the sound of my own voice. Really? Yeah. It just wasn't like, I thought I had a crappy voice, which (laughs) like, like genuinely, genuinely, I was like, I hate, hated the way my voice sounded, like singing talking, hearing anything back was just a no for me. And it took me getting comfortable with my musicality and knowing who I was in a musical space that I began to say, okay, it's all right to be different than what I'm hearing on the radio where it's popular. And it's like, this is a different thing for me. And so as soon as that clicked, then my voice began to sound sweeter. And I was able to write the way I wanted to how did that layer with your guitar playing? So if you picked up your guitar and then at like, at what point did you start singing and say, Oh, this, I'm not crazy about this. And then, you know, it's cause you pick up a guitar and ultimately you want to write something, right. You you know? And so (laughs) I would like show my writings to friends and they'd be like, how's it go? And then I would try to sing what I wrote. And that was kind of how it started was me trying to show off this and, you know, would do voice memos on my phone and hear back. I was like, ah, oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> but then it wasn't until I was in tune and I was like, okay, like this is it. And the more I did it, the easier it got for me. So does that creep up at all these days or not really? You're just sort of like, nope, this is, this is just great now. No, not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are moments where I crack or I don't hit a run the way I want to, yeah. but I think the cadence and the flow is still there for me. Yeah. And if it's not, that's an issue. And I have to go back to the very beginning because that's an indicator that am I trying to be something outside of who I am? But there's always, you know, feel like the healthiest human condition is growth. 
And so I still have to be growing. You know, there's sort of a fine line between me growing and stretching myself. But there's the other side of like, who am I trying to sound like? And am I trying to do something that's not me? And so there's that seesaw and, and balancing acrobatics that I'm doing as I'm growing as an artist and as I'm growing in my artistry. So can you talk about a couple of areas where you're currently growing in or you'd like to grow in? I'm just curious to hear how you think about that. Man, yeah, for sure. I think one, when you're starting off and I think anything great that you do, you have to do it with a team. And so one would be with the artistry is trusting people, you know, could be one and trusting that they can do the job as well as you do or even better. And then also as a band director, a, a sense and having to articulate what you want to whoever's playing an instrument that I don't know how to play, but there's sort of an emotion that I'm trying to get across. And for me, music is so emotional and not so much a mathematical thing. And so it's not like, I don't want you to play triplets. I want you to like feel this. And so it's finding the verbiage to give that across, you know, cause I can't just say, I want you to find that emotion. I need to be able to communicate with people who don't speak the same language that I do, or it's a different language that they speak. And I have to either learn how to speak theirs or teach them how to speak mine. And so that I'm definitely learning and it's a stretch, you know, and the more shows that I'm doing and the festivals and the team is growing. At first it was just me, you know, and then my band setup is having backup vocalists and a guy playing keys and organ. And I did that. And now adding a drummer and adding another guitar player, you know, it adds on to how I speak and how I communicate and how we all converse. And so I would say that would be a micro example. When you, when you're adding your drummer, for example, or your, whoever you're adding, do you think about this communication piece right away? Instantly because, and, and one, are they willing to listen? Right. You know, it's a family for me and I'm not one to, cool, we play a show and then we're all off. Right. To, you know, it's, I think that we are all an extension of each other. And so are you going to be a good extension of the backup singers? Are you going to be a good extension of me or the guitar player of each other? And that's extremely important. And if your energy is off, your character is off, you know, then I, I can't. And for me, it's character above even musicality yeah. a lot of times, yeah. you know, because I think that comes as soon as you find a connection that something grows that's beyond what I can do by myself. And so instantly I'm thinking, how am I going to articulate? Are they willing to listen? And can I listen to them? Because it's a two-way street. Is there a specific time? And maybe there's not, so mm -hmm. we can just cut this if not. But yeah. is there a specific time when you said um, when something is beyond something you can do yourself? I'm curious if there's a specific time that you have in mind where you're like, oh, wow, this is like so different then. You know, I, I mean, playing festivals, it's a prime example of it's so vast and you're playing in front of thousands and thousands of people. And in order to connect sometimes, like it's hard to be up there by yourself mm. and do oh, what interesting, you can get across. Right. But then trusting a band, especially when you haven't done it before and this is sort of a new undertaking for you, is trusting them 
that they're in tune with you and they're in tune with the music and they can express it not in a way, again, that's mathematical of like, cool, here are these tracks and here's how you play this and this, but like, can you move with how the audience is moving? Like, can you be in tune with the emotion? And, you know, there's a saying that you're either in tune with the ocean or you get destroyed by it, Mm. you know? (laughs) And so that's how I approach shows sometimes because the audience might be extremely in tune with you one day, the next day they're talking and I can let it bother me or I can flow with it and even add on to the dialogue that they've got going. What do you do if they're talking or distracted? Like, what would you... I would join in. Yeah. <laughs> like, like literally I would join in or, or, or say something and be like, you know, if there are times where I can hear the conversation and then I'd be like, Hey, my advice would be, to do that. <laughs> you know, like, but I think it's important, you know, not to take it seriously. Like one, they came to see you for a reason and it could be that on their way to your show, something happened or on your way to their show, they met a friend mm. that they haven't seen in a long time. And so I try not to take it as as disrespect, like it's extremely difficult, you know, as an artist, because you're putting what you've worked hard on in display, but other people are living just as complex lives as we are, (laughs) you know? And so anything could have happened within five minutes or 10 minutes or six minutes. And so just being sure that I'm not being shaken by, again, the sea but being in tune by it. I'm right there with you. My uh, my wife is often talking to me during shows and I have to be like, stop it. <laughs> it's so hard not to, you, you know? Totally. Yeah, it's so hard yeah. not to. But, you know, I look back on, I didn't really go to the first show I went to. I was 25 years old. Okay. And so, but I would, you know, watch documentaries and it's interesting seeing no cell phones, mm, you know, and yeah. people engaged in dancing or jumping or you know, Bruce Springsteen is playing and everyone's just in awe, you know, Michael Jackson's playing and people are crying and passing out, you know, Bob Dylan and people are just in tune, Bill Withers and people are just captivated and you can hear a pin drop. You know, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in the actual room at times and and miss that. And there are moments where that happens here, you know, but again, be sway with the waves. Yeah. 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 I like that. I have two things to ask you about. Yes. Let me see. Where should I start? Let's start with, um, so you've mentioned the word team a couple of times. Mm-hmm. I know you have like this, a little bit of a sports background at mm-hmm. least. Like this was a path that sort of started on and then it was sort of taken away yes. from you, for lack of a better word. Are there things that you learned by doing sports that mm-hmm. you're applying today to music? Or I mean, I feel like there's so many things that cross over there, but I'm curious if there's anything that specifically sticks out for you. Absolutely. You know, Again, the the aspect of working as a team and delegating task, you know, especially within soccer, if I am a left midfielder and I venture over to the right, it doesn't matter how good I am <laughs> at playing either positions, but there's going to be a hole and I'm going to miss it. And so, but trusting the person that's on the other side that they're going to do their job. And if I doesn't matter again how good I am that the team as a whole will fail and ultimately I will fail if I don't play my part you know and for me on a spiritual sense like having a team was like a family for me because that wasn't constant in my life and so to me like the sports sports gave me a father figure 
gave me a brother, gave me a therapist, <laughs> you, you know, like these multiple things. And so, but it was just finding that way to express myself in a sports dynamic that it's different because I'm not as physical, but I think all the elements within sports is also, in, it's a universal language and you're around team and it's important to really play that role and listen to each other and talk to each other and communication and people come in support of what you're doing. And sometimes it's not going to go as smoothly as you want. And not every team wins every single game <laughs> and every show is not going to go as well as you think it's going to go. But man, you're doing something that you love and being in the moment is so important, you know, and resting in that. And ultimately that's going to help you play better because the stress isn't going to be there of worrying about what's next. But if you worry in, in sports, you have to be calculative of like, cool, like this is going to happen and you read it in game. And I think it's, it's there in music. So I'm not talking about that, but as in you can't worry about the next game, you know, or who's the next game, but it be, but worry about the strategy within the now. And so those are the components that I've taken from sports and applied into music. And it's definitely working. Oftentimes when I go to play music, I'm in my own head so often. I think it's the hardest thing for me to like focus on executing the music and also get to that place where you're just totally letting go. Yeah. You sort of hinted at it a little bit in that, that last sort of little bit. I'm, I'm curious if you could talk more about that. How do you get there or mm. is there something that you, I guess, just how do you get there is my question. That's a great question. I think that it's multifaceted. There's one side of being seasoned and like cultivating your craft, extremely important and doing it so well. And in sports, it's like you hit so many free throws <laughs> that it becomes second nature yeah, and yeah. you don't even think about it, yeah. you know? And then the other part of trusting yourself and also things that are beyond you take over your body, you know, but I think it is those components have to be there in order for something to take over your body and be like, that wasn't me that was playing that show or that wasn't me that was playing that game. You know, something else like took me over and I feel like that is the divine, you know, working in conjunction with the hard work and the cultivation. And then it's like a little sprinkle of, I don't know, again, the legend really and everything conspiring for you. And that happens a lot. And it's like, I let go and say, it's not about me and release all this tension. And then instantly, like something beyond me takes over. And then I leave that show and I was like, I've never done that before. Or I've never played it like that before. And I know like, all right, like it's not, I wasn't the one singing and I wasn't the one playing, but those are the sweetest moments. Yeah, that's really uh, that's really great. Okay, let's switch to seasons now for a little bit. Let's talk about seasons. I think we've laid the groundwork for <laughs> at least based on what I know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but will you talk a little bit about the creation of this album? Yeah, I think that'll be super interesting for folks. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, I feel like this is sort of my life's work. They say you you get an eternity to work on your first one, and it's felt like that. You know, it is. Seasons is about my childhood and the cover art is 
me and my brothers in the ocean and it was painted. And within the title seasons, there's wordplay of sea and suns. And one, you know, we've been talking about water and the sea, and it's something I believe in, you know, leaving in, in Greece, I understood the power of water and understood that it can be a healing component and it could also be a destructive component. And so, but like being still and letting it sway. And so that, and also the sons to where me and my brothers have been through so much and I wanted to honor them for inspiring me and honoring them for making me the man that I am now. And also not just them, but everyone else who has played a part in making me a son and everyone who has inspired me and everyone who has touched again, like a thing in my life. And so that was sort of my broad component of, or the, the micro of what I wanted the album to be about, you, you know, is like those things. And so it was just bringing all those pieces and, and, you know, within the album and the songs. And then, you know, my brother passed away in, in 2018 or was killed in, in 20, 2017. And I wanted to honor him. And so I started the album with Xavier, which mm -hmm. was his name. And so I wanted, Xavier was adopted like me and before he was adopted, he was placed in 20 different homes. Wow. And, you know, I felt like he didn't get a chance to redeem himself. Wow. And he didn't get a chance to redeem his story and who he was. And because he was skilled, he became a statistic. Mm. And I took it personal. And during the album process, and what's wild, I, I haven't even talked about this. Anyway, during the album process, the whole like hearing was happening, you know, and while you're working on the album, yeah, you? yeah, oh God, and the people who um, it was it was a few kids as, as well. There were brothers that all like conspired against him, and to where I'm having to be there and then share how I feel. Wow, you know, and so it was this like intense moment, and I've never experienced anything like it. And I probably and I pray that I, I never will again, but. I didn't want that to be the last thing that I remembered about Xavier. I didn't want the last thing I remember was going to the site where he was killed and seeing his body a few feet away from me, you know? And so I wanted his body to travel. I wanted his spirit to travel. And so I wrote Xavier and, you know, I just got back from touring with the Lumineers in Europe and he's been to Spain <laughs> and he's been to Italy and he's been to all these countries because I'm singing songs with his name on it and it's echoing. His spirit is there. And I wanted him to live in that way and for his legacy to be that of freedom and that of joy, wonder, loss, pain, but that being overcome. And so that was the heart behind Seasons. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Absolutely. That, by the way. Yeah. So we have this really strong sense of, you know, sort of the impetus for the album. You talk a little bit about the team that like helped, you know, bring the album together. Yeah, man, there, there's so many people. There is Matt Pence, who's from Dallas area, an incredible drummer, um, incredible producer and engineer and, and mixer. He mixed pretty much the whole record. And then Brad Cook, 
who is North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. And he's worked with like Bonavere and Snail Mail. He's also part of the management company that I'm with. Incredible guy, Dominic Baseman. Like they're Dominic Baseman, Jonathan Keller, Nick Brenton, Ian Barter, <laughs> Anu Pila. Like it's a whole team. And Jordash Grant played the keys. Who's, who's sitting right outside? Yeah, if people don't right know. Yeah exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Taylor Nix, Roy Spice, Jacob, who played bass. Are these folks who all, who all, uh, they all came together because just of your collecting them as you went along? Man, or? There is a really beautiful community in Dallas and we all like believe in each other, man. And they were so kind enough to, you know, they've been believing in me and believing in what I had to bring. And so a lot of them were just like, dude, we, we love you. We love what you're doing and, and came out. But then Anupila lives in London, which I was there for a few, lived there for about a year and a half. And Ian Barter as well, who was Amy Winehouse's music director. Wow. And he did Tears Run Dry. Wow. And worked on Tears Run Dry. And some folks here in Dallas, Nick Brenton, Jonathan Keller, and Dominic Baseman. And so it was... Again, it was me going and then believing in me and believing in my artistry and then wanting to be a part of it. And my belief is that anything great is going to take a team. And I was very open to people coming in and bringing a freshness and uniqueness into what I was doing. But I co-produced and, you know, just kind of like made sure that the songs were definitely me. And what is it like to to go through that, to say like, oh, this isn't quite what, like how, can you talk a little bit about how you do that? One, it depends on what you want to say. So I feel like everyone is different, but for me, I wanted to tell the story within the paradigm of seasons and within that story. And so, and in my head, I wanted it to be a prayer with Xavier and amen, you know? And so everything else within it had to fit, you know, the story of, my mother and my brother and growing up and being fostered and being adopted and my dad and our relationship. So like it had to fit. And if it didn't, and if it wasn't cohesive, but yet not put me in a box, then like it had to go. And so, and you know, it being my first, I'm sure there's a lot of mistakes that happened, but I'm so happy with (laughs) how it came out. And I feel like it definitely hit the nail on its head. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and Gary Clark Jr. and Mavis Staples as well, like being part of being part of this. And I feel like, you know, I used to watch Gary when I first learned how to play the guitar. Him being part of the album, again, as we stated earlier on, is a dot connected. Mavis Staples, who big fan of like her family and the Staples singers and what her dad stood for, what she stood for another dot connected. And so, but to have both of them feature on my debut record is wild and something that you can't buy with money, you know? (laughs) And yeah, so, so, so grateful for everyone. And folks, I didn't mention, like, I'm so grateful for their contribution and I wouldn't be sitting right here doing the things that I'm doing if it wasn't for them. Yeah. Cool. Last question. This one's an easy one. Um, where can people find you? And I know, are, and you're touring right now as well, right? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and so it's abrahamalexander.com on the website, Abraham Alexander on socials, Instagram, Twitter, thread, 
MySpace, <laughs> Facebook. I'm not on MySpace, but if you are, I'm, um, and I am currently on tour right now, and I'm doing Farewell Festival this weekend in Oregon. I'm doing uh, Newport Folk Festival next week. Wow, it's coming up. I'm doing that next week. <laughs> And then I go on a Northeast run and then I'll be back in LA in November. And so I'm, oh. I'm, I'm excited about that. And when do you get to take a break? That's what I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas time maybe? Or, it's, or it, yeah, I don't, it's, it's fun for me. It's like, uh, it's a lot, yeah. you, you know, it's been a lot, but I don't, you know, I could be working in an office and that'd be a lot, you know, I could be in a clinic could that be a lot, but I'm truly getting to do what I love and there are so many people that are working with me, alongside me, and are wanting it to be successful. And I don't want to hinder that. So I feel like I have to keep putting fuel in the fire to make it successful for everyone. And so, yeah. So it's just like, you know what? Definitely making sure that I rest and I'm getting my mental capacity. But there's something to say about pushing for that next stride. You know, it's important for everyone involved and it's not me, but a lot of people have also sacrificed for me to be here. And so it's important for them, but yeah, find me on abrahamalexander.com and Abraham Alexander on socials, TikTok, Instagram, thread, Facebook, and uh, would love to be friends for sure. And the new album is called Seasons, Seasons. but it's like S-E-A slash slash S-O-N-S. S-O-N-S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny. People say C-Suns. <laughs> uh, and I'm like, no, no, no. The slash is silent. <laughs> 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 yeah. It's silent. But uh, man, yeah. So thank you so very much. For thank you me. so much for being here and Absolutely. taking the time. And um, yeah, if uh, I just encourage people to go check out the album and see you live. It's just it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank cool. you. This Alrighty. has been a treat. Likewise. Yeah. How many times I get carried away Like a leaf in a sea on a wave My life keeps passing each day Praying his memories won't sway The pictures on the wall will change And mentions of your name will paint But in the morning Will I see you again? Oh, I pray. Amen. Amen. I pray, I pray, I pray, I pray. Amen. Yes, I pray, I pray. Oh, my brother. Thanks once again for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast, and we'll catch you next time on Music Lessons.